Well, season, uh, Christmas is a season of wonder, or at least it's supposed to be. Uh, we, we want it to be, and uh, everybody is seeking that wonder of Christmas. When we're kids, it, 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 young kids, it kind of comes rather easily for us. There's the, the wonder of the angels and the nativity stories and messages from heaven and the baby Jesus and, and all of that. And then um, also possibly the, the, the magic of Santa Claus and all the things that go together with that. So it's a, it's a season when we're young for, for, for most young kids. It's a season of great wonder. And as we grow up, it's like we're always trying to recover. <laughs> we're try, trying to, to recover or recapture the wonder of our younger Christmas. We can spend the rest of our lives uh, doing that, trying to recapture that. There's an AT&T commercial. I don't know if you've seen it. Uh, I like it because of one particular moment in the commercial. So they're talking about the newest iPhone and they're you know, raving about it. And the female, there's a male and a female, the female says to the guy, she goes, I know what I'm going to ask Santa for my Christmas list. And he looks at her somewhat incredulously and says, you still write letters to Santa? She goes, oh, get real. Uh, I email him. And the moment that I like is the look on his face when he looks at her with that childhood wonder and goes, can I get his email address from you? <laughs> uh, we're, we're all trying to, to kind of recover that. But I, I think that as we grow up, there is even more wonder to what this is all about that we can unlock. More than what we experienced as little kids. E even more than that experience of wonder. The Christmas wonder that we felt and that we maybe uh, understood instinctively when we were really little uh, is something that actually we can at this time in our lives, we can recapture, but actually we can, we can unlock it and go deeper. It can go deeper into our hearts and into our, our lives. So my goal in the next few minutes is to help you recapture and unlock the wonders of Christmas. Interestingly, uh, over the last few decades, scientists have done a lot of studies, just the last decade actually, the last 10 years or so, scientists have done a lot of studies on the impact of wonder, uh, on how wonder and awe in our lives has this in, all these incredible uh, effects. And it can be the effects are things that tie into some really important things in our lives. Uh, so um, what, what they say is a bunch of these scientific studies that, it, that have been done uh, say that what happens is when we experience awe and wonder, we feel like we're part of something bigger. And that feeling like we're part of something bigger, something happens. We begin to feel a sense of connection with the people around us, a greater sense of connection with the people around us. And, and not just that, it, what begins to happen is that there's, there's greater patience. We feel more patient towards people. Uh, like the Grinch, our heart grows and we grow a more generous heart. And we experience a, a, des a desire to give and to, to help other people when we experience awe and wonder. So one of the experiments, just to give you an idea, I mean, they do brain scans and other kinds of tests for this kind of thing. But in one of the tests, what they do is they, they took these, these, these university students uh, to, um, and divided them into two different groups, and they had to complete a test that's called a 20-statement test. 
And what it is is you come up with 20 statements that finish the sentence, I am. I am, and then you, you finish it. And so one group, they take uh, to the part of the university, the life sciences department, where there is a life-size T-Rex. And while they're filling out the I am statements about themselves, they're looking at this. This is what they're looking at. And the other half, they just took them to a hallway. And they just have them look at the hallway, down the hallway, while they're, while they're doing this. Nothing spectacular. What they discovered is the people who are watching the T-Rex, three times more likely to tie themselves into something bigger as being something bigger, like I am a part of the human race or the human species, whereas people who are in the hallway are more likely to say something like, well, I am a, a soccer player um, or something, something like that. That's not, it's not big. It's not something that we're part of something way bigger than ourselves. Uh, that's not all. These studies show that when we experience awe and wonder, uh, we have a sense of bonding to other people. And it's that bonding that makes us more patient with other people. Actually makes us more courageous, and not just more courageous, but less anxious. It gives us peace. It's almost like wonder is a wonder drug. It has all these incredible effects. And it's not just the sciences that talk about wonder. There's a philosopher uh, by the name of Charles Taylor that's written a book that's almost a thousand pages long. <laughs> and he talks about the loss of wonder in our Western world, in our developed world where all of us live. And it's, it's a world that he says is disenchanted. There is no God and there are no angels. Uh, if, if they exist, they're on the periphery. They don't, we don't think of them as impacting our daily lives, like what we're going to read in the story here, the nativity here in, in a moment. And so it's a world drained of the supernatural. And what winds up happening is the world eventually feels really cold, like our lives are accidental, like there's really no purpose or meaning to our lives, and so we become addicted to trying to find meaning in things, buying, accumulating things, or experiences, or power, and all these sort of things. So you need wonder. We need wonder, and we need awe, and the philosophers are saying it, the scientists are saying it, so I'm going to ask you, are you ready for some wonder? I'd like to do that kind of like, are you ready? You know, are you ready for some wonder? Because that's, that's what I'm hoping to do. We're, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna explore all the reasons why we should have wonder and unlock the wonder. All right, so we're going to start with the night sky. So just think for a moment about the, the night sky. It can be wonder-inducing, especially the farther we get away from city lights so we can actually see the stars and the sky filled with, with all the stars. Now listen. Listen to the nativity story. And there were shepherds living in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. So the, the shepherds are under a night sky, and they can see way more stars than we can see because they didn't have the city lights that, that we have anywhere, you know, anywhere in the world at, at that time. And so into that night sky, all of a sudden an angel appears with a message from God. And he says it's a, it's a message that brings great joy. One of the articles that I read having to do with the scientific studies on awe and, and wonder 
uh, talked about a team, uh, specifically one scientist on a team that was controlling the Hubble telescope several years ago, uh, sometime within the last 10 years or so. And her name was Heidi uh, Hamill, and they were interviewing her, and she said there was this, this moment where they got to see something that, they, that nobody has ever seen before. No astronomer, no anybody has ever seen before. It was uh, a collision of two celestial bodies. And so they got to see a comet hit the surface of Jupiter. And she said, this was something that had never been seen before, and, 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 and this is how she describes it. She says, I could see these massive dark spots that were literally the size of Earth. She says, but it felt routine. It, it was like, oh, there's the impact. Nothing happened. And she said uh, they had a little bit of a break after that. They, she went out to get some food, left the building. There was an amateur astronomer with a telescope right in the corner on the sidewalk. They got talking, and he said, yeah, I got it pointed at Jupiter right now. And so she looked through his telescope, and this is what she said. I looked through the lens at Jupiter, and I saw the explosions. Something was happening 500 million miles away, and I was staring at it on a street corner in Baltimore. I got a hitch in my chest. I was just amazed. She experienced wonder. She should be amazed. There is awe in something like that. But the shepherds actually see something that is greater than that. The, the, the shepherds see something that the most powerful telescope that can ever be created can never see. The shepherds get a peek into another realm of reality. Reality, but another realm of reality. And these angels that they see, the angel first and then a group of angels that they see, these beings that are in the, in the words of, of one of the Christmas hymns, beings from, or they are from the realms of glory. That's where they're from. That's the realm, the realm of glory. These beings show us, uh, show up in the night sky with a message from God. And what greater awe can there be in our lives than to, to see or to experience or to read about the shepherd's experience where the creator of Jupiter, the, the creator of the night sky, the creator of the entire universe shows up and has a message that they hear and that they then pass on to us ultimately through the gospel writer Luke. It's a message for us. What, a message of great joy. What more awe can we have than that? It's a book from the early 70s, coming, kind of coming out of the God is Dead movement in the United States. And it was called, He is There and He is Not Silent. And so it was talking about God. He is there and He is not silent, which would be a great title for this story that we're reading today. God is there. He's not silent. He has a, a message for us. He's come from beyond this world, and he says, there is something beyond this world, and there is a life beyond this life, and I have a plan for humanity, and I have a plan for you, and it's bigger than anything you could come up with for yourself. That's what he's saying there. The night sky can bring awe, but knowing that God is alive and well, and that he cares about us, and that he wants a relationship with us, that he is a God of glory, that he is a God worth glorifying, worth worshiping, and following, and knowing, and he wants to make himself known to us. Now that's something that inspires awe and wonder. All right.
So we want to recapture the wonder of Christmas or unlock the wonder of Christmas. Uh, look at the stable of the Christmas story. Uh, so Luke continues. The message of the angels. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on the earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off. And found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. So the message of the angels is, and, and of the angel, is that you will find the descendant of David, the king, but more than a king, the king of the entire universe. You're going to find him in a stable, and he's going to be lying in a feeding, an animal feeding trough. There's a great scene in the... Uh, Last book of the Chronicles of Narnia. And so a great battle is taking place. Uh, the king and some of his uh, fighting partners, as well as Queen Lucy, who comes from our world, not from the Narnian world, but is in the Lar Narnian world from our world, uh, they, they, they seek cover in a stable. And this describes what happens when they go into the stable. So when, when he entered the stable, Tyrion, who is the king, looked around again and could hardly believe his eyes. There was a blue sky overhead and grassy country spreading as far as he could see every direction and his new friends all around him laughing. It seems then, said Tyrion, smiling himself, that the stable seen from the within and the stable seen from without are two different places. Yes, said Lord Diggory. Its inside is bigger than its outside. Yes, said Queen Lucy. In our world, too, a stable once had something inside it that was bigger than our whole world. Lucy is thinking of the stable, our stable, something inside of it that is bigger than the whole world. Now, not to ruin a beautiful moment, <laughs> But you may uh, have seen the baby Jesus prayer in Talladega Nights. So race car driver Ricky Bobby, uh, he says grace around the dinner table. And at one point he describes Jesus who he's praying to. This is how he addresses him. He says, dear eight pound, six ounce newborn baby Jesus in your golden fleece diapers with your curled up, fat, balled up little fists pawing at the air. And his wife and his father-in-law interrupt them, and, and they try to talk him into praying to the adult Jesus, as they describe, the, the one that had a beard. And he says, but I like the baby virgin, version best. And I win the races, and I get the money, so he finishes praying to the baby Jesus. Well, the angels, with their message, say, that's not just a baby in that stable. What's in that stable is bigger than everything outside of the stable. What's in that stable is the one who created the stars, the one who created the universe, and he's come to earth to live in poverty because he's going to suffer with us. He's the savior of the world. He has come to rescue us, and we needed rescuing. 
to reconcile us, to renew the relationship that we have broken with God and to do it by suffering for us on the cross. So you want to recover the wonder, you can look at the night sky and think of another realm of glory breaking in. You can think of that baby Jesus in that stable, larger, bigger than the rest of the world. The last thing is, is to just think about that shepherd's story. So it continues. When they, the shepherds, had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Shepherds go telling the story. And stories are extremely important in our lives. It's in stories that we, in fact, some of those scientific studies that I was talking about, some of them talk about how stories can impact our sense of awe, especially stories about heroes or people who overcome incredible odds. One of the examples they gave is a story about a, a kid who was going through cancer but was still going out and playing hockey, that kind of thing, those kind of stories that create wonder and awe. And Donald Miller tells a great story about the, the power of a bigger story in our lives, a story that transcends our individual wants, our individual needs, something that's bigger than us that we become a part of. And, um, and so I'm just going to read you his story. It's powerful in the way that he tells it, and then we'll draw this to a close. He writes, this is from, this from a book, by the way, uh, called A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. When I got back from Los Angeles, I got together with my friend Jason, who has a 13-year-old daughter. He was feeling down because he and his wife had found some pot hidden in their daughter's closet. She was dating a guy, too, a kid who smelled like smoke and only answered questions with single words. Yeah, no, whatever, why? And why was the answer Jason hated most. Have her home by 10, Jason would say. Why? The guy would ask. Jason figured this guy was the reason his daughter was experimenting with drugs. You thought about grounding her, I asked, not allowing her to date him? We tried that, but it's gotten worse. Jason shook his head and fidgeted his fingers on the table. Then I said something that caught his attention. I said that his daughter was living a terrible story. What do you mean, he asked. To be honest, I didn't know exactly what I meant. I probably wouldn't have said it except I'd just come back from a seminar on story. But I told him about the stuff I'd learned. Uh, that the elements of story involve a character who wants something and overcomes conflict in order to get it. Even as I said this, I wasn't sure how it applied to his daughter. Go on, my friend said. I don't know exactly, but she's, it's like she's not living a very good story. She's caught up in a bad one. I said a lot of other things, and he kept asking me questions. And we must have talked for an hour or more about how novels work and why some movies are meaningful and others simply aren't. I didn't think much of it. I just thought he was curious about movies. A couple of months later, I ran into Jason and asked him about his daughter. She's better, he said to me, smiling. And when I asked why, he told me that his family was living a better story. The night after we talked, Jason couldn't sleep. He thought about the story his daughter was living and the role that she was playing inside that story. He realized he hadn't provided a better story for his daughter. He hadn't mapped out a story for his family. And so his daughter had chosen another story, a story in which she was wanted, 
even if she was only being used. In the absence of a family story, she'd chosen a story in which there was risk and adventure, rebellion and independence. She's not a bad girl, my friend said. She was just choosing the best story available to her. I pictured his daughter flipping through the channels of life, as it were, stopping on a story that seemed most compelling at the moment, a story that offered her something, anything, because people can't live without a story, without a role to play. So how did you get her out of it, I asked. And I couldn't believe what he told me next. Jason decided to stop yelling at his daughter and instead created a better story to invite her into. He remembered that a story involves a character who wants something and overcomes conflict to get it. I started researching stuff on the internet and I came across an organization that builds orphanages around the world. And that sounded to me like a pretty good ambition, something maybe my family could try to do together. It sounded like a good story. Right, I said, trying to remember the elements of story myself. So I called this organization, Jason continued, and it takes about $25,000 to build one of these orphanages. And the truth is, we don't have the money. I mean, we just took out a second mortgage. But I knew if we were going to tell a good story, it had to involve risk. That's true, I said, remembering it from the seminar. So I went home and I called a family meeting. I didn't tell my wife first, which turns out to be a big mistake. But I told them about this village and about the orphanage and all these terrible things that could happen if these kids don't get an orphanage, and I told them I agreed to build it. You're kidding me, I said. No, I'm not. And my wife sat there looking at me like I'd lost my mind. And I looked at my daughter, her eyes as big as melons, and she wasn't happy. She knew this would mean she'd have to give up her allowance, and who knows what else. They just sat there in silence, and the longer they sat there, the more I wondered if I had lost my mind. I actually think you might have lost your mind, I said, feeling somewhat responsible. Well, maybe so, Jason said, looking away for a second with a smile. But it's working out. I mean, things are pretty good, Don. Jason went on to explain that his wife and daughter went back to their separate rooms, and neither of them talked to him. His wife was rightly upset that he hadn't mentioned anything to her, but that night, while they were lying in bed, he explained the whole story thing about how they weren't taking risks and weren't helping anybody and how their daughter was losing interest. The next day, he said, Annie came to me while I was doing the dishes. He collected his words. Things had, not been, things had just been tense for the last year, Don. I haven't told you everything. But my wife came to me and put her arms around me and leaned her face into the back of my neck and told me she was proud of me. You're kidding, I said. I'm not. My friend said, Don, I haven't heard Annie say things like that in years. I told her I was sorry I didn't talk to her about it and that I just got excited. She said she forgave me, but it didn't matter. She said we had an orphanage to build and that we were probably going to make bigger mistakes, but we would build it. My friend smiled as he remembered his wife's words. And then Rachel came into our bedroom, maybe a few days later, and asked if we could go to Mexico. Annie and I just sort of looked at her and didn't know what to say, so then Rachel crawled between us in bed like she did when she was little. She said she could talk about the orphanage on her website, and maybe people could help. She could post pictures. She wanted to go to Mexico to meet the kids and take pictures for her website. That's incredible, I said. And you know what else, man? Jason said. She broke up with her boyfriend last week. She had this picture on her dresser and took it down and told me 
he said that she was too fat. Can you believe that? What a jerk. A jerk, I agreed. And that's done now, Jason said, shaking his head. No girl who plays the role of a hero dates a guy who uses her. She knows who she is. She just forgot for a little while. We need a bigger story. And the story that Jesus gives us, the story that the shepherds go and tell everyone, leaving other people filled with wonder. They're amazed. They're filled with wonder. That's a story that God wants to implant in our hearts. We have a role within that story. And part of that role is to go into our world and to spread that story of God's love and of God's grace about why that baby came and what his purpose was. When the angels had seen him, they spread the word and all who heard it were amazed. That's what he wants from us. He wants us to live his word, to know his word, to know him, and then to live it out in words and in our actions. The baby in that stable is bigger than the whole world outside. There is more to life than this. There is a realm of reality. There is a life beyond this. A life that God promises Jesus came to establish and he will return where he will make everything new and everything right. He is there and he is not silent. Let's pray together.